What do magical thinking, nostalgia, and daydreaming have anything to do with business? Well, find out today on Hollywood Breaks. Ricky, thanks for me that about from the Chris Nolan speech. Was, um, yeah, of course. It's a really great. Yes. Um, it was. Acceptance speech you gave last night. It was last night he did it, right? Yeah, it was last night. Uh, so it was at CinemaCon. Um, and usually CinemaCon, uh, you know, it's a great place to watch trailers. Great place for the uh, distributors to get together and gamble and, you know, have some fun, get a little loose, have a few drinks. Um, but at the end, they usually do this big award show. And typically, there'll be some coordination between the studios and CinemaCon in terms of who gets what, because usually there's an award coming, a movie coming out. So it's another venue for them to promote the um, film. So uh, Christopher Nolan and his producing partner, Emma Thomas, won the Spirit of the Industry Award. Um, He gave a very interesting speech. I'm going to read whole cloth because it's really cool. And we can talk about it either. So uh, this is him. I quote, I started to reflect on all of us who work in the movies from the studios, distributors, theater owners, marketers, people serving popcorn. We're all engaged in a process in some small way does make the world a better place. It's an absolute good because we all work on what is the greatest art form ever created. It can combine the subjective experience of another human being the way a novel can, but it can combine at the same time with the emphatic experience of being in a theater, of feeling what the rest of the audience is feeling. feeling. And so I thought, what a wonderful sentiment. If I'm being completely honest, what the young man actually said was you may, oh, so apparently he ran into a young man on the street and the young man said, you make the world a better place. And he said, I, if I'm completely honest, the, Aaron Sorkin makes the world a better place because Aaron Sorkin, as we all know, is a very prolific, wonderful screenwriter. Um, but then he goes on to say, for us who work in movies, because what movies provide is entertainment, it's enjoyment, it's emotion, it's catharsis, it's fear, it's everything. It's a wonderful thing to be involved in. We're all incredibly privileged to be a part of it. Those of us who have been called upon sort of outrageously to defend it over the last few years are often accused, I'm often accused, of magical thinking of nostalgia, of daydream, as opposed to a sound business plan. It's taken the last few years for us all to realize that what we're talking, we're talking about movies, magical thinking, nostalgia, daydreaming. That is the sound business plan. It's the only sound business plan. That's what movies are. Whatever dreamlike stories are allowed to come out of this medium stands on the foundation of theaters. And so for this reason, it's a privilege to work for you. Thank you very much. Yeah, wonderful. I love the... uh magical thinking nostalgia and daydreaming mm-hmm. is the only sound business plan yeah when it comes to hollywood yeah it's, it goes back to what anthony uh dr anthony plumbo the um professor from uva brought up it's uh new but familiar that's sort of the nostalgia play right there and you know nolan has always been a big defender like during covid he was the one who was pushing warner brothers to release tenet hold it for theatrical, try to get people in the theaters. He's been a big proponent of shooting on film, not digital. But I think uh, contra to Martin Scorsese, who's sort of like Marvel movies aren't theater, aren't movie, aren't, isn't, that's not film, that's an amusement park ride. Nolan has tried to play the role of what basically encapsulated in that speech, which is this idea that it's, it's a moment for all of us to experience a f- art form that is one of the greatest ever created. So it takes the magic of a novel and it elevates it to the next level because we all experience it together. So I think that is where Nolan differentiates from like a Martin Scorsese. And you about what inspires us to want to get into this industry, to do this work. And then when we show up, the people that are successful 
people mm-hmm. that fall away. Like, what are the differentiators? Um, and I think there's, you know, as a consumer, so the outsider who's not yet had a career or the person that is young in their career, there's a lot of con- connecting to shows and films that you've loved and thinking, mm-hmm. I want to make something like that. Yeah. And the misinterpretation is to recreate the moment that you know, that you've experienced by making a similar type <clears throat> of film or similar type mm-hmm. of execution. When in reality, what we really are talking about is having a similar type of connection to a story, to an understanding, and to uh, uh, and, and a way that inspires people to think differently or grow differently or or relate to others. Right? Even right. in pop culture hits. A lot of the reason why we love it is because we can share it with one another. Maverick is something that we can share with people that we grew up with that mm-hmm. saw it originally. But even today, it's a, a way of sharing, like with you know maybe your kids or people haven't aren't exactly. familiar with the original. Is like, oh well, you can have a similar experience. Yep. And I think that's the nostalgia, magical thinking, and daydreaming all right. coming together. Those yep. are kind of the perfect triple play there of what really connects us and, and makes that reality. It's not the perfect execution. As a matter of fact, we know it. There are so many types of genres and executable styles, even low res, you know, up outputs that connect with the audience properly. Right. And grow and expand as cult classics. All of that yep. is possible in this, in this. Industry. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that was one of the great things about, sort of the reboot star Wars, albeit I didn't love the movie, um, force awakens, but the idea that it was an, it was another, it was a chance for one generation who grew up with one through six, four, five, six, one through three to episode one through three, four, five, six to, to introduce it to their kids. Um, and it's similar to the super Mario brothers movie, which has been a huge hit. And I was talking to someone the other day and, they said there's aspects of it that, you know, his son didn't get. Like there's, you know, there's a moment, I think, in the movie, I haven't seen it yet, where Mario becomes a raccoon, which is a pull right from Super Mario Brothers 3, which was very much something I grew up with. And, but at the same time, it didn't matter that it was an important tie for one generation to the next because the father recognized it from his experience, but the kid didn't recognize it, but he enjoyed it nonetheless. So it's that sort of transcendence that sort of pulls it all together that, you know, we can sit here and bemoan the fact that there's nothing original, but there's that idea of it, the nostalgia factor being enabling us to cross generations and all experience in the theater together. And, you know, Christopher Nolan's Batman is a perfect example of that. I grew up with the Tim Burton Batmans, but ultimately I'm going to introduce my son to the Nolan Batmans. And my daughter and hope, you know, and then eventually we'll get to the Burton Batmans because they're obviously somewhat darker in a lot of respects. But it's sort of that tra- that sort of tying together. And you see it again in Flash, the latest Flash trailer, where Michael Keaton comes back as Batman. And there's one moment when he says in the trailer, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. And that's one of the more iconic moments from the Burton version. So it's sort of like this tying together just makes it feel like a more of a community. And that's the, that is what is important about the theatrical experience. So think about like the role of a studio leadership in trying to navigate Mm -hmm. the Hollywood terrain or invest forward in what's happening. Right. Right. Um, You can, 
you know, the moments that he will say like the heroes that we know that have run studios are the ones that you feel like did dream big. They pushed the studio forward. They made big attempts at in changing things. And often even, even that leadership fades itself out from that generation and a new one has to step into that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in that, that pivot or that ability to build up, you know, the right knowledge base or the right resources or the right opportunities to connect and to make something successful, it does feel like it's the visionary person that gets to pass that hurdle and can make the, the studio successful <clears throat> and come up with a winning strategy for a studio. Um, but if you only focus on, say, Wall Street, the finance, mm-hmm. um, growing audience, um, all just numbers, you can realize that ah, that's when it it dies or whatever. That's yeah. where the studio just crumbles and and it really kind of loses its life um and i can see that now playing itself out i wonder if like the, obviously the Iger move is one where it had its moment he he had a replacement bob number two totally mm-hmm. wrong player at the wrong time do the wrong stuff and we're snapping back into something i wonder if that move's going to happen and i think about what comcast is doing and their big moves and questions and challenges that they have coming up um, or something that Paramount has done very well for the last few years is kind of attaching itself to this nostalgia, daydreaming, magical yeah. thinking components. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, I think about Nolan in a lot of ways, because I, I do think there's an aspect, you know, you'll you'll hear most studio execs or even, even a lot of the business affairs execs will say this, well, this is a business. You know, ultimately, yes, I understand you want to achieve this creative product, but we still have to make money. And I think oftentimes a need to just be certain about everything that it ultimately stymies the process. And Nolan had a great, I mean, I love Christopher Nolan and he had a great quote not too long ago, um, which I always used to reference anytime we got bogged down in research or marketing research and research was telling us to do this and that the spot we all, we all believed in, like it was a gut instinct that we felt this is a good spot. But because the leadership had lost confidence, really, they were just looking for that sure thing. So they went with a spot that tested better. And Nolan had this great quote that he said, you know what? Most audiences, the the instant reaction is often the wrong reaction. Mm. And when you think about that, if you think about a movie, right? You go see a movie, you walk out, one thing I always hate is when somebody says to me, what do you think? I'm like, I just walked out. Like I need time to process. Like I can't give you an instantaneous reaction. And that's where I think sometimes the testing process can be a little off kilter is like you're, 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 ha- you're showing a movie to a, an audience and you're asking them to give you an instant reaction. But you don't know, like if they sit with it for a few days, maybe their, their opinion will change. And, that's why a lot of the times going with your gut, your, your gut instinct, like if you get 20 creatives in a room who are at the top of their game and their gut says, this is the spot, this is what's going to open this movie and it tested tests like shit, you got to go with your gut. And I think yeah. that's what's starting to falter a little bit is no one's going with their gut anymore. Everyone's so just going courage. For, you're saying like, you yeah, have there's a little bit of a lack of courage to go beyond whatever yeah. the testing audience. And listen, I, I've been having this conversation since I started my career. When I was in Australia, I had 
I was young and I was still in the leadership. I was in this leadership training program and I was meeting with a guy who ran my program. And I said, I don't understand why things are so difficult to change and why, you know, if I want to try something, I'm told no over and over again. And he's like, we got to understand a lot of these people have mortgages to pay. They have kids to send to private school. So they're not going to take that leap. And I think the fact that that's sort of gone away a little bit, that sort of courage aspect that sort of willingness to take a chance. Um, you know, I wrote a little bit about this in my newsletter this week, and it's also being willing to have a little bit of fun with it. You know, we're not really having the fun that we used to have. And, you know, you can watch a, a, a movie and feel like, man, this is so heavy. Did they actually have fun making this movie? Um, and I think there's aspects of that to it as well. And, you know, I think if, we're going to get to that point where someone like a Nolan can sort of push things to that direction where it is sort of this nostalgia and enjoyment factor. There's got to be some sort of meat in the middle where it's not just about the sound business plan and the Wall Street numbers and, you know, what the stock is doing. And, you know, you look at someone like you just brought up Comcast. So, you know, obviously most people know that Jeff Shell was let go due to, you know, inappropriate behavior. I don't feel the need to go into that at all. I'm sure most of that will suss itself out. But what was fascinating about that story was it sort of revealed sort of the three-dimensional chess almost that Brian Roberts is playing at Comcast. It came out that they had been talking to Electronic Arts about a combination, um, a potential yeah. merger. They've been talking to, Warner, you know, they've been looking at Warner Brothers Discovery. They've been looking at um, potentially you know, merging with Paramount because they do have, they have made some investments in some of Paramount's ancillary businesses. So there's a lot going on. And it's interesting because you look at all the other companies, all the other big congloms like Disney, entrenching layoffs, uh, Amazon Prime Video, they just did layoffs yesterday. You know, uh, Paramount's done some layoffs. I mean, they're all in Warner Bros. Discovery, obviously, has done a ton of layoffs. Everyone's sort of like entrenching, but it feels like Robert's is looking to make a big move and he's just kind of figuring out what that's going to look like. And it's just a fascinating, when you really drill it down into it, it's, it's a fascinating company. And I think a lot of people shortchange it because it ultimately at its core, it's a cable company and that's how it started. Yeah, right. I think like it's probably always feels like a place second fiddle because it starts as a cable company, not a right. film studio. Right. Yeah. And even though they own a movie studio, you feel right. like the mothership is in Philly, cable. Cable in Philly company, yeah. and it owns something, right? Um, and there, and therefore, the leadership part of it. Do you you wonder does he get the industry? Do you know what is what's happening? Can he play with the big dogs? And the answer is obviously, absolutely, clear. yes, yeah. Gigantic corporate headquarters in Philadelphia, the largest towers in the city, two towers in the city, yeah. <laughs> and it's not only on it's on the tech side as well as yep. on the entertainment side. He's yep. constantly yep. creating entertainment and one of the largest viewerships on the planet uh, in the Comcast network. Obviously, he understands how to provide or the or Comcast knows how to provide the results. So as a dreamer, as a magic thinker, you know, as a nostalgia person, he's actually putting the pieces together and saying, oh, yeah. I, I wonder if there's more I can invest in and grow my business. And yeah. something like a move with EA, that's. That, I mean, I read that and I was like, I didn't, I didn't I haven't even heard that. Like, and it's just fascinating. That was kind of like a, it was like a sentence dropped in an article. And I was like, wait, what? 
I, I didn't read about, I mean, maybe it was out in the zeitgeist and I just missed it, but I hadn't heard anything about them. I mean, I know there's been, I mean, ever since the Fox, they made a play for, sorry, played, made a play for uh, Fox and forced Iger to up his price. I knew that there's always been rumblings that Roberts wanted to make a move, but then I thought with Peacock and sort of the losses they're kind of suffering there, you know, oh, they're going to pull back, but clearly that's not the case. Clearly he's still looking to make a move. And it's just interesting when you look at almost like the public perception of Brian Roberts versus a Bob Iger, Bob Iger's like, you know, flashy exec writes books. Everybody loves he's beloved on the Disney lot. And then you got Brian Roberts. who's very low key. You don't, you know, he's not writing books. He's not out there talking about potentially running for president. Like none of that's happening. Like he's behind the scenes, but clearly he's, he's making moves. And it's just interesting that the moves that he's made and are thinking about making are just sort of under the radar. Whereas like Iger makes a move and it's like, the, you know, every major news outlet knows about it within a day or two. Right. So it's just, it, it's just a very interesting interplay between the modern sort of global conglomerate exec and sort of the difference between Roberts and Iger. And, you know, obviously we know Roberts is running a family company in which he helped build, whereas Iger is more of a steward. So it's, there's that, obviously that dynamic and that difference, but at the same time, it's just fascinating to see all these moves they're making and to think about, you know, what's coming in 2024 with Hulu and whether or not Comcast, because I believe Comcast has an option to force Disney to buy them out or does Iger go to Roberts beforehand and say, we, do you want to buy us out? And then yeah, do so, they... so specific, I'm just going to, uh, on the Hulu front, right? Because right. basically when Disney bought Fox, they bought out a third of the partnership, if I, if I understand it right. So now there's just two partners. Right. And, and then and they bought out the Warner Brothers. The partnership was this special yeah. buyout. So we're not only looking at a pivot moving forward in the entertainment industry for something like a writer strike or right. uh, <laughs> the economy. But in right. this specific situation, we're looking at something that was predetermined years ago and then a shift in the entertainment venue. Yeah. Curious because Peacock is not picking up the steam that he would want it to. Right. Who yeah. is, if Roberts isn't on the forefront of saying that's a better investment, who is a better investment? And yeah. I would imagine a battle between the two studios because Roberts and Iger, you know, they're not the best of friends. And some no, like, they've been rivals for quite some time. And obviously Iger feels a little burned because Roberts ran the price up on him for Fox. So, um, you know, I think there, there is rivalry. And I think there is that rivalry because of the fact that Iger gets this sort of like sainted treatment. And not that there's any sort of, I don't think Roberts is like, that's what he wants. But I think he's like, well, you know what? I'm making, I, I got bigger moves happening over here. I'm playing three-dimensional chess and Bob Iger's playing checkers. Like, you know, it's sort of like that aspect of it, I think, sort of. And it's, you know, natural competition of business. But it'll be interesting to see because when you think about it, it Peacock, if Peacock's rolled into Hulu and it's all that stuff rolls back into it, then Comcast is an established brand. They get Hulu Live subscribers, of which I'm one. And then you can sort of maybe have like an X1 type platform that sort of plays into the Hulu aspect of it. You know, maybe they re-update the UI so it matches the X1 platform, which is X1, for those of you who don't have it, is probably one of the best UIs in cable. And I would argue probably in the streaming space as well, because their UI is so user-friendly. 
The amount of information you can get out from it is amazing. The remote's fun to play with. And you imagine all that in a box, right? I mean, it's like uh, meets an entertainment. You could imagine what Comcast and their tech people in that giant tower downtown could do with a Hulu, because I would argue Hulu's UI is a mess. It's Mm -hmm. not the most user-friendly. I don't particularly like it, but it's, you know, it's one of the few places you can get like a cable package and not have cable. That's right. So there's a lot, there's a lot of interesting interplay that could happen there. So I'm really curious what's going to happen. And, you know, you have Iger making all these rumblings about Disney getting out of the general entertainment game because he wants to make frozen 10. So, you know, what does that mean for Hulu? Like, cause Hulu doesn't really exist in the Disney Marvel Pixar Lucasfilm space, Nat Geo, if you will. Those are yeah. all very family friendly brands and sort of contribute to the idea of the parks and, you know, it's interesting because it's just, it, who knows what's going to happen. And we all forget that, oh, by the way, Comcast also owns NBC Universal Parks, Universal theme parks, which are doing really well. So there's that aspect that's also sort of playing. Line. And they're going to play, they're going to get the cruise line. Apparently, or- yeah, yeah. And apparently they just opened Nintendo Super World at one of their par- Universal Studio parks. So it's like, there's yeah. another sort of crossover, especially consider obviously going to make another super mario brothers movie and who knows how many spin-offs that's going to inspire but it's it's just it's fascinating and it's just you really don't i don't think this would have really all of this would have come out if the jeff shell move hadn't happened at the beginning of the week it's sort of all this other information ancillary information came out about what's been happening behind the scenes at nbcu and comcast but there's definitely big moves that are happening and big opportunities that we're going to see pull itself out. I think, as always, when the economy has its ebbs and flows, Great. there are winners and losers, but the big players are kind of recognizing, oh, wait, this is opportunity for us. And uh, you know, big dogs often get bigger when the economy gets smaller. So I'm sure there is a little bit of uh, competition between Disney and Comcast that way. To me, the the more obvious impact is that Iger is not there to stay. Like he has a short right. term. Yeah. And Roberts can be like, hey, you know what? I don't know who the visionary of, of Disney is in the future. Right now, I have a stronger vision than they do. And I could, you know, kind of take advantage of the moment. But we'll see. Because it's, um, I think Disney is licking its wounds a little bit. They've had major layoffs the last few weeks. Yep. They're kind of refocusing their purpose. And if Roberts leaning into it in this great moment. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because the other thing, it's sort of like, you know, Iger is now, you know, and Disney are spearheading this battle with Florida and Governor Ron DeSantis. And let's not also forget, Universal has a huge presence in Florida as well. <laughs> and things are awfully quiet on that front with regards to what Universal is doing versus what Disney's doing. And you're right, Iger has to, you know, he's going to be fighting this lawsuit on one front. He's retrenching the the company because of all the layoffs, which has really hurt morale across the whole company. And oh, by the way, he also has to anoint a successor. Whereas you flip side to Brian Roberts, he doesn't really have to go anywhere. He's already kind of anointed one in Mike Cavanaugh, who's now the president of Comcast, former CFO, who just about a year and a half ago was promoted the president of Comcast and now is going to fill the Jeff Shell role for the time being. So he's going to get a play in sort of what goes on in the NBCU world. They've got a very talented bench uh, sort of in the NBCU properties with Donna Langley, you know, running the studio for, I don't know how many, a decade now and doing 
quite a wonderful job at that, no less. And so it's it, it's just going to be fascinating because the, they are kind of the two dominant companies at the moment. And in Universal has probably been one of the more steadily run studios over the course of the last decade. And, you know, NBC, NBC, uh, NBC has had sort of their ups and downs, obviously, and they've had a lot. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to see because there, there's a lot of unrest at Disney right now. And Comcast seems to still be the steady player because, again, they let out that they released their earnings yesterday. I think they lost something in the neighborhood of $2 billion or they're on track to lose almost $3 billion on Peacock. They grew subs, but not nearly at the speed that Disney Plus, Netflix, and even Paramount Plus have been growing. And the stock increased by 10%. So there's clearly a trust amongst the investors when they look at Comcast and the business model and how that company has been stewarded over the last couple of decades with Brian Roberts at the helm, and now Mike Kavanaugh obviously be given be giving a shot to sort of like mentor become potentially the next CEO. There's obviously a lot of trust. And then you look at Disney where it's a little bit chaotic. They have no idea who the next you know, person is going to be. The last one was a total flop. Who's going to be the next person? Nobody knows. So it's just interesting, the interplay between the two companies. Because again, everyone looks at Disney like, ooh, sexy Disney. They got all those cool brands. And then you look at Comcast and like, wow, they've been pretty darn steady throughout the years. Even though they're losing, the cable bundle is collapsing. They don't seem to be that concerned about it. And neither does Wall Street. That's the other fascinating thing. They don't seem to be that concerned about it because they've got broadband wireless to fill the hole. And it's it, it's just a fascinating interplay between the two companies and how almost their fortunes have flopped over the last few years um, in terms of well, the perception publicly of how they're viewed. And you, um, so as a moviegoer, as a person that appreciates entertainment and the investment it takes to kind of build up, I don't know, a reserve of film or a reserve of story, that you can successfully keep your studio moving forward and progressing through a timeline, right? Keeping mm-hmm. the audience happy or whatever. You know, the audience can be very finicky and the opportunities that you're looking for to grow and to expand into a certain marketplace. That's the kind of the risk part of this entire industry. So I can imagine like a lot of um, investment thinking is, well, we got to go where it's safe. We got to go yeah. where it's always been. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is not a time of risk. We're not going to expand the universe. So something like Frozen 3 is where investments are made because it seems safe opposed to taking and growing and um, doing some kind of new imaginative um, storyline. Yeah. I think it brings me back to what Chris Nolan was encouraging or recognizing is like, you want a sound business plan though, you, is you can retain what you have by repeating the same work over and over again, or just showing things off the same, take a storyline and move it into a, a amusement park. Sure. That's great. You have a yeah. new thematic part of your music park. Uh, clearly that's the interactive nature to your fan base. But if, um, but the seeking something new and growing in that capability is probably what you and I desire most is where's the, where's the next generation that's going to make that future. Yeah, or, exactly. And I, and I just hate wasting a year or two years waiting for a reset when there's opportunity right now to build that new future and build that new Hollywood. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, I would love if Nolan would, you know, I'd love that he talks about the beauty of Hollywood and what theatrical can do, but I'd love more, even more if he would start talking about the future, like what's next, who's the next me, like, where's the next me? Who is that? Can I help? Can I mentor them? Can I help build the next generation of Hollywood? And that's what I I'm slightly concerned about in that you know, are we doing enough in the industry to sort of propel the next generation forward? And I don't know if we are. And, you know, well, how that's, do you teach magical thinking? Where's the story? Well, yeah, it has, it has to be inspired. Or daydreaming. Like that's yeah. not on the curriculum at most universities. Or That's where, exactly I right. I mean, how do you even comprehend nostalgia? You have to have lived it in order to get, you know, to... Uh, to right, it. right. So and that, and I think that that's the, that's where the challenge is, and I think that's where Nolan I think can be a leader in that regard because they all, you know, you have Spielberg, you have Nolan, you have Scorsese, you have all these legends that are sort of getting into their well, not Nolan per se, but Spielberg and Scorsese are almost in their seventies. Where's the next generation? Who's going to inspire that? I mean, it's about being inspired, and Nolan with that speech is definitely leaning that way in terms of inspire. I would love to hear more from him in terms of that. And being a leader, like, you know, doing something with Universal, maybe starting some sort of incubator that helps build the next generation of talent um, and gets people excited about going back to the movies again. And he definitely leans that way. I mean, Oppenheimer looks amazing. That's going to be an amazing film. And that sort of inspiring craft is what's going to draw more people back to the industry. So we need to hear more from people like him. It'd be great if we get a studio exec to talk that way. If Donna Langley were to get up and start talking like Christopher Nolan, that would be phenomenal. Or Tom Rothman, you know, that would be phenomenal. But there are still talking about like the 1980s all over again. And that's just not, not going to propel this, this industry forward. It's not going to attract the next generation. They're going to be like, well, well, I'm going to go work in Hollywood if I'm going to get laid off in two years. I'm just going to go work for, you know, Goldman Sachs where I can get my golden egg and I can buy my house on Long Island and be happy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I don't have to worry about the boom and busts. But, you know, so it it's uh that's a draw that most people have to deal with. I think is yeah. the how do you keep people happy? How do you keep them inspired? How do you keep them competitive? But, I think when we get into Hollywood, and the people that want to break through are the ones that are looking to be these these magic makers. To yeah. be honest, I think that's well, so yeah, it, and again, it's it's about inspiring people to want to take that chance and be part of that community, and. I don't know if they're doing that right now. And I don't think the sort of the vibe of I survived that round of layoffs. Oh, I got to, you know, keep, you know, my, you know, my, uh, my cards close to my vest. Isn't going to inspire a 22 year old college graduate who's maybe going to school on the East coast to, you know, pack up and move to the West coast and live in LA on, you know, a garbage there salary. There will always be dreamers. In there will always be always dreamers. Be dreamers. I, I agree with that, but <laughs> I think we need to still be inspiring more. And I don't think we're doing it like we were yeah. um, when we were growing, when, when I was growing up. And I think we need more people like Christopher Nolan to, to preach that speech. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I appreciate Chris Nolan. I appreciate what he's doing out there. Even just absolutely. Outside with the brands that he has and the work that he does. So yeah, absolutely. We should remind everybody that you and I are taking a spring break for the next. Yes. Week. Spring break. Spring yeah. break. <laughs> Pretty much for the mo most of the month of May. So most of the month we of May, we'll be, be back, back in June for the beginning of June. And uh, you know, this, this is the first time we've taken any significant time off in almost 
almost three years. Oh my God, almost three years. So it'll be three years in July, Tim, if you can believe it. Wow. That's that's pretty fun, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of awesome, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, so we'll be taking a little bit of a hiatus, but uh, the newsletter will still be coming out every now and then. So you'll still get my glorious thoughts that are brewing in my head. Tim, however, you'll have to wait till June. And we might find some people to fill in for us for the next couple of weeks. We never yeah, know. See, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> never know. But yeah, you're traveling and I'm traveling. So it just uh, the time zones aren't going to work for the next few weeks. So yes. We will be back um, at the beginning of June. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of things breaking in May. Right? We're gonna oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. We might even have to do a special episode at some point if if, if the news warrants it. <laughs> yeah, break th- breaking news kind of an opportunity. Breaking yeah. news kind of thing. Yes, exactly. <clears throat> but as always, thank you to our team that's behind the scenes here, making great stuff. Michelle, Lydia, our graphics team at Go Social. Uh, you guys are wonderful. Thank you for all the support that you've given us over these last almost three years. And I'm sure you'll appreciate the break as well. Um, and in the meantime, Keith, have a wonderful vacation. Enjoy you too, summer. man. Thank you. And we'll see you in June. Can't wait. Yep. I can't wait. Well, I can't wait to actually my vacation. I, 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 <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's the more exciting part. <laughs> All right. Good to see you, my friend. Likewise. <laughs>